0: Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I want to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. And I also want to thank you for partnering with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. There's always something new and exciting happening here at Ren, so please follow us on social media. You can find us by searching Renaissance Decatur. And you can also connect with us by visiting our website, rendecatur.org. Enjoy the podcast, and thank you so much for being a part of this community. My name is Jeff, and I'm one of the leaders here at the, at the church, and it's so great to see all of you. Um, we're going to start something today that I hope will carry us through the next, you know, six months or eight months or so. We're going to start a book study in another book in the Bible called First Corinthians. So if you have a Bible with you, you can turn with us to First First Corinthians. If you're visiting with us, one of the things that we love to do here at Renaissance is, is study books of the Bible. Typically, it's what our, our MO is. We like to take a book, start chapter 1, verse 1, and just work our way through it until we get to the end. And our hope in all of that is just that we'll have a much better understanding of what the Bible is trying to teach us out of that one book. We'll have a, a really sort of in-depth look at, at that part of the Scriptures to help us. It's, it's not to say that it's not it, it's not... It's still okay to take like a verse out of this book and a verse out of this book and present a topical message. I love topical messages. That's great. But one of my favorite things to do is to just teach a book of the Bible. Has anybody ever just read through an entire book of the Bible and stayed there for a while? Anyone? Welcome to Renaissance. That's what we're going to do. So uh, if you don't know this, uh, when we first started, Renaissance was maybe a year old or so, we started a, a book study in the book of Matthew. And it took us two and a half years to get through Matthew. Yeah, that's exciting. I'm just saying. You're like next church. I'm out of here. It's a lot of fun. A friend of mine who's also a pastor, so he's smart. I'm just saying that. He uh, he said this. He said I love how you guys don't microwave the scriptures. Is it his? He's a, a foodie guy, right? So this might you know this might uh, sync up with some of you. But he, he loves how you. He says you guys like put the stuff in the crock pot and let it. And let it cook slow someone say amen yeah those little carrots and baby those potatoes in with the pot roast they don't taste the same out of the microwave Johnny you know what I'm saying it tastes they taste different it's the the, the slow cooking pot roast that's what we're looking for so anyways all that to say we're gonna spend some time in first Corinthians and we'll be there for the next six eight months so you have homework you can read through it on your own we're gonna see a lot of things in this book that is gonna be applicable to us now Before we jump into this, I feel like I want to just set this whole thing up, um, just a real simple primer on what Bible study looks like, okay? So this is for all of us, and for for many of you who will know this, this will be a review to you. For for some of you, this might be something that you're hearing for the very first time. It'll be real helpful, okay? Um, Know this. The, The Bible is incredibly important for the Christian faith. Would you agree with me? And maybe you're here, you're not really a Christian. Maybe you're just sort of st- sticking your toe in the, the, the waters that is the church or the waters of Christianity. You don't know if you're on board with Jesus yet. You don't know if you're on Team Jesus yet. You don't have the merch or the church shirt or nothing. And I get all of that. I'm just telling you, and this won't surprise many of you, but the Bible is, is important to us as followers of Jesus. And, and there's a reason why this, this Bible, the entirety of the Bible tells a story. It's in fact one great story. It's a story of God. It's a story of God trying to rescue his people or redeem his people. If you were to start in the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, we see God creates everything. He creates it good. Can you imagine what that looked like? It's called the Garden of Eden, whatever that looks like. It sounds amazing, but it's great. And God places mankind inside of that garden, and everything is just as God intended it to be for a while. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it appears that mankind decides to disobey God and sin enters the world. And because sin enters the world, we have a holy and righteous God in creation and a fallen, broken mankind in creation as well. And so God separates mankind from himself. But before he does so, he promises, one day there'll come a redeemer, a rescuer who will pull you back to myself. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, the Bible, the scriptures is a story of God desperate to have his people back. It's a story of God at work in the lives of of you and I, of, of humanity itself, trying to get his people back to himself. It's a love story of sorts. It's pretty appropriate around Valentine's Day, would you agree? But the hero of the Bible is something you also need to understand, is God. Do you hear me when I say that? The hero of the Bible is God, particularly his son Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. They're the heroes of the Bible. The hero of the Bible is not, wait for it, you. (laughs) Ah, that kind of church. Is that what we are here? Yes. It's imperative that we understand when we're reading scripture, and we're going to spend our time in 1 Corinthians over these next few months, is we'll find applications for our life. We'll see things in that story that will parallel itself with our lives, and we'll be able to apply some of those things to our lives. But hear me, we do not overreach in putting ourselves into the story. We don't become the hero of the story of scripture because that belongs to someone else. His name is who? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, the answer is Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. In fact, if I had a goal today, is this, if there's a goal, is that you would leave with the words Jesus on your lips today. That this Bible is about Jesus, it's for Jesus. I prayed this morning that Jesus, who is alive, say amen, Amen. would be listening to us today. That he would pay attention to this little bitty church in Decatur, Illinois, what I used to call the armpit of Illinois, right here. I no longer do that because Jesus loves Decatur very much. And he loves this city because there's a lot of people in here that belong to him and he loves his people. But we, we, again, we are not the main character of this story. Let me give you an example of what this might look like if we were to overreach and place ourselves as the hero of the story. So many of you can nod at me or wave at me if you've heard the story, but there's a story of David and Goliath in the Old Testament. You might have heard of this, right? David, Goliath. Goliath's a big, mean giant the Philistine, the uncircumcised Philistine giant that comes before the people of God, and he taunts God's people. Nobody in the Israelite army would go out and fight Goliath. They were terrified of him. In fact, the Bible is sort of setting the stage up that no one could defeat Goliath. He was too big for all of them. But along comes a young shepherd boy, a man named David. Again, the story of David and Goliath. David is... uh, incensed that no one will go out and fight this giant. Why won't anyone fight him? I'll go fight him. And they're like, slow your roll, bro. You're just a shepherd boy. And he he's convinced that God is in the midst of all of this. And if God is with him, then, then he'll be able to take care of this giant. So he runs out there with a sling. You know the story. And five smooth stones. He takes one stone, swings it around, hits Goliath square in the head, knocks him unconscious. Love this part. Takes Goliath's own sword and severs his head. Say amen with me. Severs his head. Clips it to his wallet chain and carries it around for about seven or eight days It's a true story you can read about it in the Bible (laughs) What I love about the story of David and Goliath is it's a story of overcoming It's a story of victory when all um, when, When it appears that no one was going to be able to defeat Goliath now, here's where we can get into some danger here. We can uh, insert ourselves into that story, and then we become the David character, if you will. And it doesn't matter what giant comes our way. We've heard this taught before. It doesn't matter what giant comes our way. With God, we can defeat it. With God, we can defeat it, and we'll overcome the giants in our lives. And that's wonderful, and I appreciate all of that, except I just don't think that's what God is implying with the story. I think there's a greater story with a greater hero. David is a picture of Jesus. See, Jesus comes and tackles and takes care of a giant that no one else could defeat. Jesus is tackling sin for us. With with one failed swoop, with one stone, with one cross, if you will, with one life to give, Jesus defeats the great giant in front of us. And now the story of God continues into the next chapter as God reconciles his people back to himself through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, when we look at the story and see Jesus is the hero, woo, it gets real exciting, yes? Did I mention Jesus can hear us right now? (laughs) I'm telling you, man, he's listening. He's listening. He's, he's peering into this place today, watching us. My great desire this morning is that Jesus would hear um, a chorus of appreciation and gratitude and thankfulness in what he's done. This week, I've, I've had nothing but, I feel, um, all right, oversharing moment, here we go. Uh, I'm, I'm tender right now. I don't know what that means exactly. My daughter's like, what is he saying? <laughs> I feel, I just feel s- soft. I feel emotional. I, I don't know if it's uh, winter blues. Is that a thing? Is that happening? It's snowing outside. That might be it. But in this entire week, I'm overcome with this, this sense of gratitude and thankfulness for what God has done in my life. I'm overcome by what God has been able to do in my life and will continue to do in my life. And, and I take no, no credit for the things that God is doing. I give credit to Jesus who's, who saved me and who's, who's growing me and is encouraging me and all of that stuff. And, and I want that for your lives too. I want, I want you to see what Christ is doing in your life. Now, all of that is to set up this idea that we're gonna study a book called 1 Corinthians. Know this, that the book is actually a letter It's a letter written by a man named Paul. Paul writes this letter to Christians who are in a city called Corinth. It's an ancient city in a a country called Greece. In fact, there's still a Corinth in Greece today, although it's not in the same exact location that the Corinth of this New Testament story comes from. But know this, Corinth is a very affluent city. It's between two seaports, so there's a lot of transportation that comes through, through uh, seagoing ships and all kinds of stuff. There's a lot of people there. In fact, it's been written to be a cosmopolitan-type city, which just means this. There's all kinds of different ethnic people there from all kinds of different lands, speaking all kinds of different languages, worshiping all kinds of different gods with a lot of money. A lot of people are gathering where the money is. And God takes a man named Paul with the gospel of Jesus, and he plants the truth of Jesus in the middle of this city. This city, it's about five to 750,000 people, 500 to 750,000 people. It's a big city even by today's standard. Would you agree? But the city was known for its wickedness. The city was known for its debauchery. In fact, in all of the plays that you read about at about this time, whenever someone was playing the part of a Corinthian, they had always pretended to be drunk because all the Corinthians appeared to be drunk all the time. It is very much like Las Vegas, Los Angeles, and New York all wrapped up in one. New York, the capital of wealth, is Corinth. And Los Angeles, the the culture shaper that is Los Angeles in our world today, Corinth was a culture shaper in its world today. But it's a lot like Vegas too, right? What happens in Vegas stays where? Vegas, Vegas, I'm just saying. Never been. Can't wait to go, I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go. Say it with me now, pastor appreciation. <laughs> Let's go to Vegas. No. <laughs> Terry. <laughs> Terry, <laughs> don't you get me started. <laughs> um, but in the, in the middle of this um, debaucherous, wicked, pagan, is what the language of the New Testament would say in the midst of that seedbed, Jesus comes. The, the message of Jesus Christ, the savior of the world, comes and, and uh, plants itself in the middle of that, and a church is born. Paul the apostle, he plants this church, and then he goes on his other missionary journeys and continues to plant churches all through Asia and Asia Minor, leaving these little fledgling churches to continue to grow in the good news that is Jesus Christ. Over time, about a year, two, three years go by, Paul is catching word that the Corinthian Church is struggling. She's a young church and she's struggling. She's falling by uh, she's falling into traps of her old life. She's falling into other things. And we're going to go through many of the issues that the Corinthian Church is having in the ensuing weeks and months to come. But just know this, when word comes to Paul's ears that the Corinthian Church is struggling, he sits, down and he puts pen to paper to write them a letter it's a letter of encouragement it's a letter of admonishment it's a letter of correction see their theology had strayed just a little bit they were beginning to pervert some of the things that paul had taught them and paul corrects them in that now how many people would admit right before jesus and everyone that every once in a while we all need corrected yes Yes. Every once in a while we stray from the truth that is Jesus and we make it into something else. Yes. We do that. It's the proclivity of us as humans. We, we manufacture. We take the wonderful work that Jesus has done in our lives and we accept it. And then over time we sort of barnacle things to it and make it something else. This is called syncretism. It's called Jesus plus stuff. In the church world it sounds like this. Jesus plus giving, Jesus plus serving, Jesus plus attending every Bible study, Jesus plus all kinds of garbage. Soapbox alert. And I'm just here to remind us that every once in a while, we just need to refocus our attention that it is on Jesus alone. That the work Jesus is doing is for him, because of him, and he'll be the one who will receive glory forever and ever and ever. Paul catches words that the church is struggling, and so he writes them this letter. He has a heart for them. I think it's primarily because he was the founder of said church. I think that's part of it. But I think Paul also has a different understanding altogether. I think he understands truly who the church is and how much she matters to Jesus. Paul is, um, before he was a Christian, like you and I, he has a life before Jesus. Paul, he's a, before he's a Christian, he's a, what we call a persecutor of the church. It just means he oversaw the murder and the arrest and the, uh, the binding of followers of Jesus. It was his great desire to punish people who said they were Christians. And he wanted to do this and continue to do this. If anybody spoke about Jesus being the promised Messiah, spoken about in, G- in Jewish scriptures, he would shut them down quickly because they were wrong. But God had a greater plan and changed his theology one day on on a road to a city called Damascus where Paul was interrupted by Jesus, the resurrected Jesus himself. Catch this. He's he's not reading about Jesus. He's not being told about Jesus, which I think is wonderful. He encounters Jesus himself. And Jesus says these words to Paul. His name was Saul. Don't get hung up on that. Saul, Paul, Paul, Saul, same guy. Yes? Yes. Acts chapter 9 says this. Jesus speaks to Paul and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Did you hear that? So Paul is not in fact persecuting Jesus. He's persecuting the church. He's beating up Christians. He's having Christians murdered. He's having Christians chained. But that's not what Jesus implies. He says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? See, Paul understood in this moment that that the church, that Jesus makes no distinction between the followers of Jesus and the the church of Jesus and himself. The church is very precious to Jesus, would you agree? So much that he, he assumes that when people are persecuting the church, it's actually an assault against him personally. And so because of this new understanding, he writes the letter to the church in Corinth to correct them because the church is way too precious to let it go in error for, for too long. Um, anyways, my desire today is to do one thing. <laughs> Make Jesus' name famous. To have you guys just consider Jesus and the work that Jesus has done. We're gonna get through just a few verses in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 today, just a few verses. But in those few verses, you'll see Paul repeatedly go back to Jesus Christ. Jesus did this, Jesus did that, Jesus did this, Jesus did that, time and time again. If I can do nothing else but to help you see that Jesus is at work in his church today, yes? Did I mention he can hear you? I'm not like trying to make you charismatics and stuff, but come on! <laughs> he can hear us, yes? Let's pray. God, thank you for our time together. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who is the hero of not just the Bible, but of of our own lives, Lord. God, you have sent Jesus to rescue, to save, to bring us into relationship with you. Jesus, you have given us your Holy Spirit to equip us, empower us, encourage us, strengthen us. And we, we ask Holy Spirit that you would come and do that work that only you can do in this place today. God, we thank you that we can gather together and that we can call upon Jesus and that you listen to us and you hear us and it's in his mighty name that we pray. Amen? Amen. I don't know how far we'll get today. I've only prepared for three verses. So it might take five minutes. It might take 45 minutes. We'll see. But let's start here in verse one. Paul, he's writing his letter to Christians in Corinth, and he he mentions who he is, who's writing this. Now again, with the story, the backstory of Paul's conversion, we know that he was once a persecutor of the church and is now a proponent of the church, or a church planter, so to speak. He's letting everyone know, almost in this inference, that he is a transformed or changed individual many of us could look to parts of our life where we used to be one way now or something else. Who wants to admit something like that in in this place today? You don't have to raise your hand or nothing. I'll be the only guy. Thank you, Terry. I see that hand. Yes. Yes. We used to be a certain way, but then God inter- interrupts our lives and, and changes us to be something else. Now, that's an exciting thing. Yes? I was mentioning something just before the service. I think with a friend of mine, one of the things that we don't often do is we follow Jesus for a while, we forget to stop and look backwards every now and again. In in the Old Testament, the the Jewish people used to do these things uh, called building memorials. They would build memorials as a reminder of the things that God has done. Maybe today, let's just pause for a moment, look into the way back part of our lives and remember what God has done for us. Do you have anything in your life where he carried you through um, a particular dark season, a difficult time, when no other person could have carried you through that? In fact, even against yourself, as you are trying to find comfort and solace in many other things, Jesus was the only one who brought comfort and solace. What if you paused for a moment and thanked him for that? Paul writes his name, Paul, but the story is greater than Paul, yes? Yes? My nose is running. I, assu- I assume that's the Holy Spirit leaking out of me. <laughs> is this what they mean by, you know, being overcome by the Holy Spirit? I don't know, but something's happening. He says, Paul called by the will of God. It was in fact God who called him. In the middle of persecuting the church, in the middle of living a life that was anti-Christian. At best, right? I mean, it was anti-Christian. God interrupts that and calls him to service. I love this passage because it infers this to us, that there is in fact nothing in anyone's past that would preclude the ability of God to use any one of us here in this room. Absolutely. If I was to look around, I see a whole bunch of unqualified individuals. Praise God, I'm not the one who calls you into service. Praise God, I'm not the one who challenges you to obey him and follow him. It is God himself who calls you. He... He has the ability through Jesus Christ to look past the issues in our life and see something greater in us. There's a story in Acts when Paul is planting this church. Acts chapter 18, 19-ish something. Paul's planting this church in Corinth some four years prior to this. And persecution erupts against Paul. And Jesus comes to Paul in a vision at night and says, oh, Paul, don't fret, brother. Don't fret because I have many, many Christians here. I have many believers here. And I'm thinking to myself, what? There are no believers in Corinth. He's just now preaching the gospel. What God is saying is I see the hearts of the men and women who will trans, be transformed when the message of Jesus hits fertile soil. That's what he's saying. He's saying. I'm so thankful that I'm not the one who looks around to see whose soil is fertile. That sounds weird. <laughs> that sounds I'm so thankful. It ain't me. It's Jesus. Called by the will of God. It was God's great desire to call him. God knows the plans. God knows the finances. God knows the roads, the maps. God knows everything. We, we have just one simple thing to do when God calls. Do you know what it is? Obey. It's to just say yes to just say yes. I spoke earlier about remembering these moments in your past where God did these great things. It was over 20 years ago. I was standing in a church sanctuary, much like this one, late at night. The, the, the best thing my pastor at the time ever did for me is he gave me the keys to the church. You cannot have keys to the church. <laughs> you're starting out there <laughs> before you ask. <laughs> he gave me the keys to the church, and he says, Jeff, whenever you want to go in, you're welcome to. So one night around midnight, (laughs) I go into the church and I turn on the sound system and I'm playing worship music as loud as the speakers were possibly allowed to go. And I had one of those moments, if you know the story of Isaiah the prophet where God spoke to him and says, "Um, who will go for me? Who can I send to go for me? If you know the story, I won't bore you the details. I had a moment in a church sanctuary just like this right down the road where God says, will you go? And before I could consider my, my words, I, I said these words, as God is my witness, out loud, I will go for you. My life, my life has never been the same. It's never been the same. This last week, I was reminded of this fact. My, I, literally, God has cracked the egg of my brain over this thought. And I'm going to tell you right now, what I'm about to say to you makes no sense. And I know it makes no sense because I can't even understand it. I'm just trying to put words to what I think God is saying to me. But God reminded me this last week, Jeff, I called you to plant a church. I called you to plant a church. I don't know why this is running through my mind. Maybe it's because I'm reading this in 1 Corinthians that God called Paul to be an apostle. But God called me to plant a church. He didn't call you. He didn't call you, didn't call you, didn't call you. And I'm not saying that to be braggedly. All I'm saying is God chose me. My response to him was just the yes. Now, here's the beauty of all of that. It's incredibly humbling to know that God chose me and the success of this place, <laughs> wait for it, has nothing to do with me. It's nothing to do with me. God wanted this. He said, Jeff, would you? I said, why not? I'm not doing anything Tuesday. So we planted... <laughs> A church. This church has transformed lives. I I came here on Saturday. I I was home yesterday with my wife and some of my kids, and I only have two. I don't know why I said that. With my kids, (laughs) I don't know what's happening. (laughs) Some of them. And I just wanted to get out. The sun was out. I'm like, I want to go do something. So I asked my wife for permission. Can I go, can I leave? Can I go do something? And she's like, yeah, that's fine. Where are you going? I said, I don't know. I just want to go clear my head. And so I get in the car and I drive and I go, I drive to the most holy place, uh, Menards. And I, I, (laughs) right, I don't buy anything. I just walk up and down the aisles and I think, and I, ponder and I consider and whatever, and then I leave there, get back in my car, and almost as if autopilot takes over, I found myself in the back parking lot here at 3.30 yesterday afternoon. I have no idea why. I wasn't planning on coming here. I don't need to come here. I'm I'm here at 3.30, I come inside, and I walk upstairs. Now, many of you know we're doing a, a remodel project on the third floor next door where we want to create a sanctuary space that has about 500 seats. So you're going to have a little more elbow room, right? You're welcome, once we get that space done. This past week, the construction workers built the platform on the third floor up there. It's not quite finished, but you can see it now. It's about it's a little over twice the size of this one, let's just say. And I walk upstairs, and I stand on the front of what is the new platform. And I began to look over the room and I'm overcome with emotion. I'm overcome with the reality that God is going to bring people into this space because we're gonna have more room. He's gonna to continue to bring more people. And I was, I don't, I'm, I'm a public crier, guys. You know, I don't, I don't care. I cry in front of anyone, I don't care. And I was overcome just picturing the people that God was gonna call unto himself in that place. I was overcome with gratitude and thankfulness that God has grafted me into his family and has forever changed the branch of the family tree for me. Some of you, you don't know how big of a deal that is for your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren that God has, in fact, changed the trajectory of your life because it was his idea. It was him. (laughs) I love you. It is not because of you. It's because of him. He comes, he calls, he chooses, he designs, he plans, he pushes you in a direction, and our response to that is yes. It's obedience. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle. Apostle just means sent one. He was commissioned by Christ himself himself to teach about Jesus. Paul, in his three-verse introduction, repeats Christ Jesus four times at a minimum, called by the will of God to be an apostle for Christ. And he's got another cat with him, Sosthenes, that's kind of fun to say, another guy with him. Verse two, and he's writing this letter to the church of God that is in Corinth, the church of God. It is God's church, do you hear that? It is God's church. We, as humans, we sometimes parse little bitty Christian sects together based on uh, theological idiosyncrasies or little different ideas on what uh, baptism looks like. Is it immersion? Is it sprinkling? Who knows? Let's create a whole new denomination over it. (laughs) Right? That's what we do. (laughs) Anyways, that's what we do. Christ doesn't see it that way. God doesn't see it that way. It is his church. If we call Christ our Lord and Savior, if we hold to those tenets of the faith, we are, in fact, his sons and daughters. We are part of the church. And and he reminds them of this. One of the big issues that the church of Corinth has is they're sort of broken into schisms. Some were saying, well, I follow Paul's teaching. Some were saying, I follow Apollos, and on and on it goes. Chapter 3, Paul uh, uh, confronts them in that. It doesn't matter We belong to God in this thing because of Christ. He says to all of those, to those of you who were sanctified, that's a fun word to say. Sanctified. Isn't that awesome? What does that mean? Glad you asked. It just means set apart. Who's sanctifying? Who's setting us apart? God is doing this. He's the one who's calling by his great wisdom and setting you apart for his use. The Old Testament word they oftentimes would use holy. God has called us to be holy, to be set apart. It is his desire. And we do this, and this is my favorite thing, in Christ Jesus. Your holiness comes from him. Thank you. (laughs) This isn't awkward. Thank you. Would you hold this for me, brother? (laughs) Anyways, to use this poetical, poetic picture here, the soil that God places us in is Christ Jesus. Any hope for growth comes from Christ. Any any holiness that God is drawing out of us is rooted in the things of Christ. Through the power of God's Holy Spirit, our lives begin to transform and change. Here's a beautiful thing. You can't discipline some of these things into your life. You, You can't cause yourself to become holy. You can't cause yourself to become righteous. It is the work that Christ does in us. And he plants us, he sanctifies us, he, he sets us apart into his son that we might blossom and produce all of the things that he wants for us. Paul calls the Christian church in Corinth to this understanding. In, in, in the months to come, we'll talk about all of their religious practices and how some of them had puffed themselves up because they think they're more spiritual than other people. And Paul in his introduction, knocks the knees out of that argument. He says, you're ridiculous. You're ridiculous. If you have any holiness, if you have any spirituality, it is because of Christ. It is not because of you. Who is the hero of the story? It's Jesus. He continues to write, we've been called saints. (laughs) What? What does saint mean? We oftentimes see a definition of saints kind of like maybe the the Roman Catholic Church has put before us where they'll look at someone's life and and they check off these little boxes and if this person has done all of these things correctly, then they'll, they'll arrive at sainthood and they have this saint stamp, I guess, and you become a saint. And the problem with that idea is that leaks into our definition that somehow we're to perform things to become saintly. And Jesus is saying, "Uh uh-uh, I've done it all for you. You're called to be saints. May I remind you that he's writing to to Christians in the darkest city (laughs) as you could possibly imagine. That many of these people, even though they've come to believe in Jesus, have fallen back into their old ways, worshiping false gods, sleeping with temple prostitutes, getting drunk. One guy, wait for it, is sleeping with his, I think, is it (sighs) stepmom? Or mother in law? (laughs) (laughs) And then Paul, in the letter, he says, You've been called a saint. I don't know about you. I look in the mirror, I don't see a saint. I'm 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 repenting of sin this morning. Before I come up here to talk to you guys, because I'm an idiot. What do I know? I'm a saint because of what Jesus has done. I, I'm I'm righteous because of the work that Jesus has done. If I were to stand before God on my own merits, then I'm I'm sunk. Amen but I stand before God in Jesus' merit. I stand before God in in the work that Jesus has done for me. And and in an understanding of that, uh, uh, a level of gratitude literally just leaves my lips. I'm just thankful. I'm praying this morning. I'm like, God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for changing my family tree. Thank you for changing the trajectory of my life. God, thank you for holding all success in your hand. It has nothing to do with me. In in this life, I have nothing to consider myself as far as reaching towards success. If I'm obedient to the call that Christ has placed on me, the success is his. It belongs to him. The financing is his. The direction is His, the maps are His, the all, all of this stuff belongs to Him. I just follow Him. And out of that, just thankfulness just pours out of me. Are you thankful? Did I mention He's listening to us? Are you thankful? called saints with all of those who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it's all about Jesus. He's the hero of this letter. He's the hero of this book. He's the hero of our lives. I'll close with this. Verse three, Paul finishes his introduction with grace to you and peace from God. Again, through Jesus, (laughs) grace to you. Grace, if you don't know the definition of the word grace, it just means undeserved, unmerited, unearned. Everything that God is doing in your life, you don't deserve. Hallelujah. If it somehow was dependent upon you, you would fail. You'd fail. You'd trip up. You'd, you'd, you'd make a mistake and then there goes all of your, your work. There goes all of your stuff. But, but it's undeserved. Christ comes and gives this to you freely. It's called grace. And in so doing, we see the culmination of all of this grace in our lives in what Paul writes here. He says, and you receive peace from God. Grace to you and peace It's the culmination of what God is doing. Peace is a a Hebrew idea. It just means wholeness, completeness. If you could just for a moment consider the pieces of your life that are missing. Consider for a moment the pieces in your life that just don't seem to be cogging together or connecting together like everything else seems to. Those those pieces that don't seem to be uh, connecting right can be brought together through God until the the peace or the wholeness or the shalom of God just begins to overwhelm our lives. It's a work that God does in his time through the power of his Holy Spirit. When he leads us, we say yes to him. When he calls us, we say yes to him. When he asks us to do things, we say yes to him. And he handles all the rest <laughs> um, you surround yourself with the peace that is in God and it it envelops you, it overwhelms you. And in that, again, gratitude is the expression. It's thankfulness. Oh God, I'm unworthy. In fact, looking back, I think that was the language that the prophet Isaiah used when he was ushered into the throne room of God. He says, I am unworthy. I am an unclean man standing before you. And God does this cool thing. He, he cleanses him with a coal. I don't want to dis- distract the, or detract from the story I'm trying to say. I'm just saying this. You are unholy. You are you are unworthy. You are unclean, but for Christ who changes us. Yes? Yes? The hero of the story is Jesus. The hero is not you. The hero is not all the great things you're doing. The hero is Jesus who's, who's captured your attention just for an, a, a while so that you'll say yes and follow him. The hero of the story is Jesus. Long after we are gone, this church will continue and change lives. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. God is not finished in the lives of his people. So I just want to pray for us and uh, close. I want to go back into uh, a little time of worship. By that, I mean we're going to have the band come back, and we're going to sing and declare the wonderful things that God is doing in our lives. Close your eyes for me. (laughs) Oh, let's pray. God, thank you so much again for Jesus. Thank you for Paul's letter. What a great encouragement. I know we only got a couple verses in, but Lord, we just thank you for um, helping us see the heart of Paul speak to his brothers and sisters in a a town called Corinth, that there's an encouraging letter from, a word from Jesus that is available to us. God, I pray that... uh, when we leave today, Jesus would be on our lips, Jesus would be on our mind, that we would maybe take some time today to remember how far God has taken us. Maybe we would take just some time today just to, to surrender to God. That that uh, Jeff, you talked a lot about just giving uh, a yes to Jesus call. Maybe today's the day you just say, I'm sick of doing it my way. I'm going to say yes to Jesus today. And, and we'll celebrate with you, man. That's so great. I'm telling you right now, if that's you, it'll change <laughs> It'll change the branch of your family tree. I'm telling you right now, man. if you're if you're thinking about it, do it. I'm telling you, do it in Jesus name. Ask him to come into your life, ask him to change you. Ask him to to uh, give you a clearer path than what you were creating for yourself. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and speak to the people in this room that you would come in power, that people would have knowledge of things they did not have knowledge before. They would have wisdom in things they did not have wisdom before. God, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would, uh, that you would seal the words that we've heard today into our hearts, that they would, they would just sit there and do a work that only you can do with them, Lord. I thank you for that. God, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And we are thankful for everything you've done. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together, we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, please go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves him.